Amen. Thanks, guys. That was very good. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Loretta. Happy Thanksgiving. That's great. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. You actually, you're giving me an idea. You're giving me an idea. You can, well, you're getting one more afterward. That's true. We gotta. Yeah, moderation. That's the thing. That's it. <laughs> That's yeah. No, don't worry. So you gave me an idea. So you've said some things that you're thankful for, and I was thinking about that, whether we pray or whether we talk about it. So That's right. That's right. And you know what, Loretta? We want to hear from some other people, too. They're going to say why they, what they like about Thanksgiving right now. So you've given me a great idea. So what I wanted to do is, yeah, so what I wanted to do was just a chance to, for you to kind of say out loud something that you're thankful for um, today. Just a chance. This is something often families do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. So what, just to put it out there, what are you thankful for? What's everyone else thankful for uh, this time of year? Peer family and family, yes, I can second that. Pardon? To be alive, yes, the gift of life. Yes, yeah. That's right, Feb- family day, yeah, in February, you're right. Uh, anything else that people are thankful for? Yeah. Nature. Yeah, this time of year especially. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Nice. <laughs> Is that food that you have to prepare yourself or someone else? <laughs> I'm thankful for good food too. Great. Yeah, I could second all that. Family as well, for sure. Um, I'm thankful for the kids, for my kids. I'm thinking about our kids' zone that are meeting right now and just thinking about, yeah, kids, how much God loves them, how much Jesus loves them. Gets me a bit emotional thinking about it. Um, Yeah, I'm just grateful to gather like this, you know, and uh, yeah, just kind of thinking about where were we last uh, October? We weren't really able to, to gather like this, eh? So this is a, a step in the right direction when we talk about that. Um, 
And uh, today, really, in uh, the, my message today, it's kind of, we're drawing attention to some things that we have to be thankful for, and uh, we're also talking a bit more about some things that we have the opportunity to take part in with God. And so we're, we're reading um, Ephesians 3, and uh, we're reading what's already been read as well as a bit before it, and I wanted to get us thinking about it. I just wanted us thinking, to, to think about, you don't have to say it out loud this time, but what comes to mind for you when you think of something or someone that, you know, it, how do you put it, where you know that they've gotten there because they've put in the, a lot of time, a lot of effort to be there. Something, someone who's, who's great at what they do, and you know they're there because we're talking years of dedication, you know? So for me, something that comes to mind would be jazz musicians. That's probably one that you, you might have guessed. And I just think of the greats, you know, the, the amount of time and energy they put into their instrument in order to be able to improvise the way they do. Um, I think of one of my favorites, John Coltrane, for instance. He, I, I, apparently for his, one of his greatest albums, Giant Steps, he practiced like 12 hours a day, apparently, for an extended period of time in order to be ready to record that album. And that song, Giant Steps, it's known in the jazz world as being one of the most difficult songs to try to improvise over because it's really fast, it's really complicated. So he spent a lot of time and dedication and discipline to get there. Um, so yeah, I wonder what comes to mind for you. You might think of, of athletes, Olympians, um, you might think of maybe surgeons even. You think about the amount of time it takes to be able to, to perform surgery. And for all these things, when we look at them, like if you look at an Olympian, if I look at Coltrane, if you look at, it, at someone, it's a kind of a mystery. They make it look so easy, right? They make what they do, it looks natural. It looks, e it looks so easy, and we wonder, how on earth did they get there, you know? But for them... It's not really a mystery. They know the amount of time and dedication they've put into it. They, they know, they can think back the day after day after day of practicing, of, you know, eating the right things for athletes, of, you know, um, just doing what's needed to be done day after day. And that has, over time, brought them to where we see them when we see them doing amazing things. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because, well, there's two things, actually. It applies in two ways to what we're talking about today. Because in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about how the church is kind of like that for God. The church, it turns out, is this project that God has been working on for ages, he says. He's been working and working and working behind the scenes, in secret even, it says, to bring history to a time when he could make the church. So the church is that, and, and the church has a purpose, and we're going to talk about that today. And, but us, too, we have a role to play in that purpose. We have a role to play in the church, and our role, it turns out, we're going to talk about, it's kind of similar. It's a daily thing that we walk living like Christ in order to become more and more the people that, that kind of God destined us to be. So it applies in two ways. So it's going to get clearer as I go through. Um, so let's, let's dig in. Let's dig in so we can kind of see what I'm talking about here. Um, we're going to read from Ephesians 3, verse 7. And if you have the time this week, definitely recommend you read this chapter more than once. It's, there's a lot going on here that's really encouraging, really amazing. 
um, verses 1 to 6. I'm not going to read right now. Paul's kind of repeating some of the things he said earlier about his calling to bring the Gentiles, invite the Gentiles into God's people. And then he takes it up at verse 7. So let's read it together. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to point out in this verse. I'm just going to move this over. And uh, in this passage, I should say, the first part, Paul's again talking about his calling. God's called him by God's grace. Paul mentions that more than once. It's all by God's grace. Paul didn't deserve it, but God called him, and he's got a two-part purpose to his calling. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, that really stood out to me this week as I was reading it, because I think about how that's the focus for Paul. He wants people to know. He wants the nations to know. Remember the Gentiles. Last week we talked about the nations can, or sorry, the Gentiles can mean nations, and it's basically everyone who's not kind of part of the Israelites, part of the um, part of God's people prior to, to Jesus. And he's saying, you know, the the emphasis is on God's riches available in Christ. That that just hit me this week because I think about, in my own experience, how sometimes we change the emphasis. We kind of, I I know I was taught, you kind of lead with telling people, you know, you're sinful, you need a savior, and then you start maybe getting to the riches. But it's interesting how Paul really, right away, he's saying, this is my mission, to explain. These are the riches. <laughs> so I, I found that challenging. I found that uh, a bit convicting. And also, he wants everybody to know God's plan here, God's mystery plan. God is doing what needs to be done to finally give people a chance to be unified, truly unified, truly together. And Paul's making that known. And that word mystery, I think it's important that we just clarify that, um, because we can maybe think mystery, we might think that it's mysterious, or that it's like a, a paradox, or an enigma. So in other words, it's really hard to understand, it's really confusing. But that's not what Paul means by mystery here. In, in Paul's kind of context, mystery just means that it was once secret, as he explains here. So God's plan was once hidden, it was once secret, God was kind of keeping it a secret, But now it's being made known. Now it's being revealed. God's revealing it. And he's making it really plain. So it's not that it's mysterious anymore. It's not that it's confusing. It's just it was once secret and now it's being revealed. And that what God's revealing through Paul and through the, the church is that God loves people and he wants to bring people together in Christ. He wants to make, um, uh, yeah, the, the church. 
And then Paul talks about how the purpose of the church is in turn to, to do something. The purpose is to reveal to everybody, to the world, to everyone, everything, God's wisdom, God's goodness. God's been on this project secretly working behind the scenes to bring history to the point where he could put a people together, save people, and create a people of such love that it would display his goodness, display his wisdom. And so the idea is if people are looking, if they're, if they're ready to look and see, then by the way that the church is behaving, by the way that the, the church conducts itself, they'll see God there. Jesus says, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples by your love, especially by your love for one another. So that's what Paul's saying the purpose of the church is. And it kind of reminds me of uh, um, a marriage ceremony, for instance. So what do I mean by that? Well, the, a marriage ceremony, there's so many parts of it that are there to communicate something, right? There's a lot of symbolism that goes on in a marriage ceremony. So you've got the rings that are exchanged, and those rings symbolize this, this bond that's going on between the couple, and this commitment, is, and it's an eternal bond symbolized by the circle. Or the lighting of the unity candle. I really like that one where you've got these two separate candles that are lit and the parents come up and they light the one candle, symbolizing the two families coming together. Those are ones that are a little more overt, so to speak. It's a little more obvious. It gets explained. But then there's even ones that are more subtle. You think of the bride and the groom standing facing each other and the pastor usually standing back creating like a triangle. So you've got this union that's about to take place between bride and groom and the pastor represents God in that situation, represents that covenant that's happening between the couple and God. So all of that in a, in a marriage ceremony, if you're looking for it, you're seeing like these undertones, you're seeing this communication, this symbolism. And that's the way it's supposed to be with the church. The church is communicating in so many ways God's goodness, God's wisdom. So that's the, the picture of the church. And then Paul goes on to pray, a prayer that we've read today, a prayer that, um, that the church would start to live into that and really draw from God in order for that to happen. And we learn a lot here about what God's doing to form the church. So let's go on. So it starts at verse 14. Paul says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful passage, and I so appreciated Lily reading that to us today. It's one of those passages that just to let it soak over you again and again, it's incredible. 
And the ending there is where I want to start off. It's, it's kind of a surprising thing that Paul says there. Um, he says, glory to God in the church and in Jesus Christ. So that's getting at this communication part of the church, where the church is meant to glorify God. He's saying here that Jesus glorifies God, and the church is meant to bring glory to God. And we do that, again, by communicating things. And we do it by going through what Paul's talking about here. Um, first, we do it by being filled up with God. That's that one part there, the, the filled to completeness. Um, it's this idea that God wants to give of himself to his people. And that, so the word there is like he's giving of his fullness. He's giving of himself what he can give to people. And the goal here, the idea here that Paul's praying is that the church would be completely filled up, that there would be nothing left out. We'd be completely filled with God's presence, completely filled by God. And then he, and he spells that out a bit more, kind of how that happens. And we see here the Spirit, we see Jesus involved, we see all these things. It talks about how this, this happens when people are empowered by the Spirit. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would empower God's people. So as we lean on the Holy Spirit's power and are empowered, it talks about God's, and the, oh yeah, and that's on the inner, to the inner being, it talks about in one translation, to the inner self, to the true self. It's kind of breaking through the layers and getting to the core of us. It also happens when Christ, Christ is present in our hearts, in our hearts. So that, that word there, we've gone back to that word heart a few times. It's kind of like all of our personality, kind of who we are, what makes us who we are, the way we think the way we feel, these sorts of things. We're inviting Christ into all of those so that Christ would transform us, Christ would fill us, leaving nothing aside. And I like the message translation. It says that Christ would be present in our hearts as we open the door and invite him in. So there we see that each of these, it's not a once and you're done thing. It's like a progressive, evolving thing where we are inviting Christ more and more into our lives, opening the door up more and more. And then it says, too, that we would be rooted in God's love, that our roots would grow deep into God's love. I love that picture. And you see there, like, we're kind of like a tree, I imagine, where the roots of the tree are what gives it that stability, that gives it that um, strength to hold up against the wind and the rain and all of that. So we're rooted in God's love and drawing our strength from God's love, but also that we're drawing our nourishment. Roots are there for nourishment to help us grow, and that nourishment is coming from God's love. And then it talks more about love, <laughs> that we would have the power to grasp God's love. Our minds are now involved where we're, we're kind of getting it. We're getting how much God loves us. We're starting to sink in, so to speak. We're starting to probe the depths of it, the heights, the, all the different directions of it. And there we see here that Paul's talking about not just us individually, but communally as well. The, the, other, the NIV translation does it a bit better there where it says that, that we would have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp God's love for us. We better understand, we can better understand God's love when we come together, I find that. I found that this morning, actually, as we were singing together. And I was listening to our team sing, knowing some of the hardships that each of them have been through, and singing, great is your faithfulness, 
even out of those experiences. And I thought, wow, doesn't that just display God's love for us? Doesn't that just help me to understand? If, if they can sing, great is your faithfulness, then maybe I can trust as well. Maybe I can trust in God's love in that way. So when we come together, we kind of experience God's love. We see it in action even more. And uh, lastly, it talks about us experiencing Christ's love as well. So our minds are involved and just all of us are involved. There's an experiential level going on here when it says that we would know that we would experience. Um, how does it say? May you experience the love of Christ and know it, though it is too great to fully know. <laughs> so it's one of those things. You can't, you can't ever get enough of it. You can't ever probe to the point of fully understanding it. And uh, so that's what Paul's talking about when it means to be filled by the love of God. That's God's project. That's what God is doing to create a people that will display his wisdom, that will display his goodness, that will display his love. And our series is about what does it mean to be spiritually healthy, <laughs> you know, and here I think we get a lot of what that means, what it means to be spiritually healthy at the individual level and at the community level, and it's all, it was all listed, it was all listed there, <laughs> we moved on, but it's, you know, we can go back to it for a second, but just to kind of recap, right, spiritually healthy communities and individuals, you know, there's this reliance on the power of the Spirit, being empowered, there's this seeking to open your heart, for it to be like a home for Christ's presence, there's this seeking to be rooted in God's love more and more, and there's this desire to understand and know even on an experiential, like you're experiencing Christ's love. That we're getting really, yes, yeah, more ideas about what it means to be spiritually healthy. And um, so what does that mean for us would be the next question. We've really talked about Paul's passage here and what God's doing. But what I really want us to also know and, and think about is, okay, what, what about our part in this? Because we know this isn't like an automatic thing. We know it isn't a quick thing. When we talk about being changed and transformed on so many levels, we know it takes time, and we know that it takes our own involvement. So it's important for us to get as clear as we can, I think, on what, what's our responsibility in this. How do we respond in ways where we will be growing in God's love, where we will be opening ourselves what do we need to do? And there's a couple of, like, warnings, I think, here that I wanted to bring up. And uh, because sometimes I've found in my own thinking about this, and I think it's kind of common, is we can kind of set it up maybe in the wrong ways. So when I say that, I mean, you know, we think about these being spiritual truths, and we're talking about spiritual health. Well, there's one danger that we might divorce it all kind of from our day-to-day and that we might, we might spiritualize it to the extent where we forget about our, the role of kind of our physical bodies in all of this. And so we have to be careful of that. There's this one passage in uh, the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, one a really powerful book. And uh, it's talking about, if you haven't read it, it's basically talking about um, kind of a few, um, few of the devil's henchmen, so to speak, who are teaming up to work on a Christian, and it's going through their strategies for how they're going to take him away from his relationship with God. And there's this one point where they're talking about prayer, and they're talking about how the body gets involved in prayer. And they say, 
Um, it says, at the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. When, when, they, when that happens, they're saying that's a good thing because then, um, then they, you know, they're, they're falling into error here. And, and it says, for they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. So that's powerful. Whatever their bodies do, there's a connection there between our soul and our bodies. There's a connection between our spirit and our bodies. So that's something that I've found is really important to keep in mind, and I can forget that. You can kind of think that it's just a spiritual thing. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing with my body. And, uh, but Paul is, I mean, he's kind of clear about this. In Romans 12, he says, for instance, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, and that's our spiritual form of worship, he says. So it's all together. It's all together. So we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful about making it like an inward, private thing as well, that spiritual growth is just like it's something that happens inward, and it's kind of separate from my day-to-day and separate from my community. You know, no, it's all together. It's all of one piece. So, and we saw it here that Paul is praying we'd be filled up by God in all aspects. If you go through that list, you can see that everything is accounted for, everything, every part of us and our community. Okay, so now that we're thinking that way, we realize how change in that kind of a broad and big picture way takes time, you know. It takes time. It's not a quick overnight thing. And it's going to take our dedicated involvement. If we want to see change taking place, it's going to take our involvement. If we want to see the power of the Spirit in our lives, it's going to take our participation in this. God wants to to partner with us. He doesn't want to just kind of create robots, (laughs) so to speak. So it's going to take our dedication And that's why I brought up at the beginning thinking about people who are good at something (laughs) and thinking about how getting there, so if we think about a baseball player, how how much time and effort it took to get there, right? You think about what it takes for someone to be a home run hitter. Well, they didn't just, that just didn't happen overnight. We're talking years of practice, years of the right kind of discipline, all of that stuff went into, when we see them on game day, being able to swing the bat and hit the ball, which apparently I've, I've been, I remember learning in one of my classes, that's one of the hardest things to do, actually. To hit a fastball is one of the hardest sport things <laughs> to do, if that's the right way of saying it. And actually, like, apparently we shouldn't be able to do it. It should be impossible. Like, our brain can't, if you were to actually kind of mentally think through the steps before you swing, apparently our brains don't work that fast. So the fact that they hit that ball is like a mini miracle, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, but it took dedication, right? The home run hitters know <laughs> what they had to go through to get there, the amount of dedication. And there's a parallel here to our walk with Jesus. There's a parallel here to us seeing change happen in our lives. And I'm drawing this from Dallas Willard. Um, I've been really impacted by his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And here, he's the one who who makes this parallel. And it really, as we're going to see, it's very biblical. It's very much based on Jesus' example. 
But that parallel there between what we see a baseball player doing at a drum set there, what a drummer is doing, here's what Dallas Willard says about that. This is not a truth to be set aside when it comes to our relationship with God. We're saved by grace, of course, and by it alone, and not because we deserve it. That is the basis of God's acceptance of us. So we are loved, accepted by God like that because of grace. Um, but grace, that, that, that whole thing, doesn't mean that that sufficient strength and insight will automatically be infused into our being in the moment of need. Abundant evidence for this claim is available precisely in the experience of any Christian. We only have to look at the facts. So there, he's talking about those times when you really, you're put in a situation of temptation, for instance. You're put into a situation where you need that self-control, and it just doesn't happen. And you realize, oh, I'm still a work in progress, obviously. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of that prayer that you've probably heard this one before, the prayer of, of someone, and they're, they're saying, Dear God, so far today, I've done it all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. And I'm really glad of that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. <laughs> so I'm, I think of that. That's the experience of most of us, myself included. And so I'm going to keep quoting, that's what Dallas Willard's getting at here, you know. But the point is, over time, we will see victories. We will see change, provided we kind of put in the right dedication here. So then here's what he says. A baseball player, so we're kind of halfway through, a baseball player who expects to excel in the game without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous, he's getting strong language here, than the Christian who hopes to be able to act in the manner of Christ when put to the test without the appropriate exercise in godly living. So let's just talk about that a little bit. That Really what he's saying there is something that we're going to explore in coming weeks as well. And we're going to see it in Paul's writings because in the next chapter, Paul is going to get really specific about what he's talking about here. And he's going to start talking about, okay, now that we've covered all that's true about what God's part is in this, now you need to start living it out. And he gets into a lot of examples about how we need to live it out. So I take it from that, what, what Willard's saying, what Paul's saying, is that spiritual health on our part is that we're getting clear on what that godly living is. We're getting clear on what the appropriate things to do each day would be, the kind of spiritual living, the kind of things that would give the spirit room to empower us, give, that give us a chance to grow into God's love. We're getting clear on that, and we're committed to doing it, both at the individual level and the community level. In other words, you're talking about me individually. We're talking about character development here, you know, which takes time. And it takes kind of daily. If I want to get better at, I don't know, say, being more generous, for instance, I, it's not enough for me just to kind of pray for it and hope God infuses me with generosity. I've got to take the time to practice it out. And at first, it's not going to come easy, <laughs> right? I've got to give. And by the way, generosity isn't a strength of mine. I'm more, as I said before, I'm more the gift receiver than the gift giver. Randy's the generous one, so I lean on her a lot when it comes to generosity. But it's like the more that you do it, and then the more things start to change. It starts to, you realize that the act of your body in giving starts to impact your soul as well. 
You start to see God's working in you. You start to become shaped more and more by it. You realize the joy that you're giving in being generous. And then that changes you more and more. And so that's true on the individual level. It's true at the community level too. When we're talking about creating a goodness culture, when we're talking about changing the culture that we're in, it takes time, dedicated effort, dedicated activities and behaviors on each of our parts. And in order to know kind of what that looks like, in order to know what we're talking about here, we don't have to look very far. We only have to look at Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 5, so he's going to say this coming up, he says, and this is the message translation, watch what God does and then do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. And he says this elsewhere too, watch what Jesus is doing and, and, and do it. Imitate Jesus. Jesus himself says it. Imitate God. He says it. And the, the point here is that we're looking at Jesus for what we need to be doing on a regular basis. And it's not just in his big moments. I think that's the mistake I've made that we often make. We, we think of imitating Jesus and we think of the big stuff, like love your enemies, like him going to the cross, for instance. And then we think, well, how on earth can I do that? <laughs> you know, I'm not finding this loving your enemies thing <laughs> to becoming very natural. Um, but Dallas Willard's point and Paul's point here is that we need to imitate Christ in the day-to-day just as much as those big picture things. We need to see what Jesus is up to before he goes and loves his enemies, before he goes and talks to the Pharisees. And we realize, oh my goodness, he spent a lot of time in prayer before that. He spent a lot of time in what we call, what we've been called spiritual disciplines, for instance. He's been fasting. He's been praying. He's been spending a lot of time with God. Just before he, he elected the, the close disciples, the apostles, for instance, he spent the whole night in prayer, it said. I remember that standing out to me when I saw it. So we're, the idea is that we're looking at Jesus and we're becoming dedicated to doing what he does at those, in those day-to-day things as well. And that's where the, the power lies. That's Willard's point. That's, that's the idea that then over time, those things shape us. Really, we're creating space for the Spirit. Really, we're creating that space for the Spirit to shape us. But that's our part in it. And so Dallas Willard says, following in Jesus' steps cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. That's the mistake we often make. But to live as Christ lived is to live as he did all his life. So that's what we're talking about here. And I'm realizing the time, so I'm just going to kind of skip ahead now because we could talk about how that's true at the community level as well. But I invite you to think about that. You know, what regular things would we as a peer community need to prioritize so that we can allow God to shape culture of goodness in us, because the the same principle applies. So let me just uh, finish off then, and uh, this is something that's to be continued, but we've been talking about how God's been up to something for centuries, and that is making a people, making a people that are truly unified in Christ, truly restored to relationship with God, and the purpose is to communicate through the community, to communicate his love and goodness and wisdom, really to draw more people in. And our part 
in that involves our whole selves. It involves especially our bodies. It involves our day-to-day. It involves our community life. And when we are dedicated to the kinds of things that we see Jesus doing on a regular basis, that's when we can experience kind of the, the power of the Spirit in our lives more and more. That's how we can be shaped into what Paul's talking about. Great. So I'm sorry, this is, excites me. I get a little bit long-winded sometimes. I was really trying to chop this one down a bit, but I'm realizing because I want to leave a little bit of space now for communion because to me, this is kind of the, the main event. And so I was really trying to trim down my message unsuccessfully, but for us to focus on communion now. It's Thanksgiving. I thought, what better time than to focus on communion? So I just want to invite the, the worship team up. And uh, they're going to lead us in, in part of a song, just so that we can start to um, get into a place of reflection and gratitude, thinking about what God has done for us, and even some of the things that we've been reading today, um, as we prepare ourselves to take communion. And doing communion today is really important, I think, from the kind of thing that we've been talking about. This is a practice that Jesus has asked us to do on a regular basis. So I'll hand it over to, to the team.